about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is a man that started umpiring in the Baseball Canada Umpire Program, is the only Canadian on the Major League Baseball umpire roster, and a guy that likes to hang his t-shirts on a hanger, Stu Shearwater. Topics we cover are his amateur days as an umpire, Vic Carapaz's razor of choice, and how Phil Cuzzy is the guy to call if you're looking for a seat at an Italian restaurant. So sit back, relax, get ready, it's coming. It's a wonderful feeling. Feel the love in the room from the floor to the ceiling. It's that time of year. Christmas time is here. And welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. As you can tell, we're getting into the Christmas spirit here at the Leading Edge, and we're really excited to bring to you a Christmas special. You're sitting there going, how is this a Christmas special? Well, we're really excited. We were able to track down the big guy, you know, the only one from up north. He makes his rounds, and he always comes back to give back. The one and only Canadian Major League umpire, right out of Regina, Saskatchewan, Stu Shearwater. Now, before we get to this holiday special episode, we're going to do our traditional plug. Facebook, search for us at Leading Edge Umpire Stories, where you can interact with us, find out when new episodes are coming up and new episodes have been released. And like everything else, you're listening to us somewhere, but be sure to tune us in on TuneIn, Spotify, Apple iTunes Podcast. You can even catch us on Amazon Alexa now, as well as Google Podcasts. So go over to your favorite podcasting station and listen to us and send links, share us, you know, have some fun, keep the message out there. We're really trying to promote the umpire spirit even during the winter season, but we still plan on highlighting Canadian umpires from sea to shining sea across this beautiful land and country we call Canada. Now, as we've done multiple times here in the leading edge, we want to bring a highlight to the importance about mental health and looking after yourself. We all know the holidays can be a little bit difficult for some people, And no doubt, during this COVID season, it's just a little bit more difficult than we're used to. So don't be ashamed or scared to pick up the phone, give someone you know a call, and wish them all the best of a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays and a Happy New Year, because you never know what that call is going to do. So I challenge everybody out there to pick up the phone, reach out to somebody you haven't reached out before or in a long time, and say, hey, been thinking about you, just want to make sure you're all right. Now, one more thing, because it is the holiday season, I just want to bring attention to an important thing or something that's really close to my heart and I believe in, and that is not driving under the influence. Please, people, if you've been out partying, you're out visiting family, you're out doing anything and you've decided to have a beverage or you've decided to indulge in any mind-altering substances such as cannabis, please make the proper decision and call somebody to take you home or stay the night, call a cab, anything. But please... Refrain from driving under the influence because 100% of deaths and accidents that involve driving under the influence can be preventable. So, if you do decide to indulge, do the right thing, be responsible, and call somebody to take you home. 
Now you've probably had enough of me dropping all these public service announcements, and I get it. You're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to get to the interview. So without further ado, I'm honored and privileged to bring on a man that started umpiring in Regina, Saskatchewan, worked his way up through the Baseball Canada umpire program, and is Canada's own and only Major League Baseball umpire, Stu Shearwater. Stu, welcome to The Leading Edge. Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. The honor's all mine. I appreciate it. I'm a little bit nervous here. I've dealt with a lot of amateurs, never really had the opportunity to deal with a professional like yourself. So, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm going to pad the I'm going to pad the pockets here. I'm excited to have this. Okay, so now one of the first things we like to do here on the leading edge is we like to give all our guests the opportunity to share with us how bad their playing experiences were. So what's your playing resume like? Well, as you can see, I'm not a professional baseball player. Um, so that's I actually played football and <laughs> I, that's how bad I was at baseball. I was not good. I couldn't hit the ball uh, if my life depended on it, but I could sit in a crouch and call a pitch. I could do that. But if you throw a bat in my hands and make me swing and one of my head's moving, no shot. Can't happen. You call a pitch. Obviously, that transpired into why we're here today. Looking back on it, were you better then than you are, Neil? Uh, as an umpire? Yeah. Oh, I, I never I never got anything wrong back then. I guarantee. I promise you. And there was nothing wrong. I, no matter what I called, that stuck, and that was it. So, no, absolutely. I think uh, when I was 11, 12 years old, I was nails, man. You were on your way, just the bat didn't work for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Do you ever have any opportunities to compete for a local championship, provincial championship, anything fun like that? You know what? I was never uh, in the top of the, I guess, the scales of, of competitive baseball. I just played for fun, just had a good time. But honestly, uh, no. <laughs> I, was, you know, I was always on the garbage teams. They just like, hey, put the scraps over here. Let's send this kid over there. He's big. He can play first base. He can catch. He can throw a ball once in a while. Great. Perfect. Somebody got to do it. That's why there's nine men in the field. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned you played football. What position did you play in football? Going all the way through high school. Yeah, going both ways, like in peewee, bantam, high school. I played offensive line, defensive line. Uh, once I uh, got out of high school, went to play the Prairie Thunder, uh, played defensive line there. Actually, actually scrapped a couple offensive line games there, too. We were hardcore in injuries, uh, kind of like my Niners are right now. Let's not talk about that, though. But, uh, no, so they had to put me on the O-line, and... Uh, Started a couple of games on the old line uh, for the Thunder, but no, it's just, uh, yeah, that was just a, a fun, just being with the boys, and uh, we had a good time those years. When you talk about the Thunder, what were they? You know, we we were... That's junior football, so people don't know, that's junior football here in Saskatchewan. Oh, I, and it was like the very first couple of years. Like, I think I went and I graduated in 01. I think 02, I started playing with them. I think their first year was like 99 or 2000, so like... They would have just started out. They had a bunch of scrap helmets and scrap stuff from like the Las Vegas Posse, like from the CFL. Like everything was Las Vegas Posse in our room. And I think some guys had spray painted helmets that were once red. And now, like, you get a chip off them. And it's just like, yeah, we, we had them spray painted in silver. And it, you know, it was fun. It was something to do after we played high school football. Like, we had a bunch of, we had a great team. Um, you know, just good, good characters too that we always, a lot of guys got along. One of those made-for-movie type teams, was it? Well, yeah, you got a guy like an Olympian on it. Yeah, well, you know, he might be in a curling Olympian, but, you know, a guy like Ben Hebert, you know, like we played together. We actually have a good rookie story together, but I don't like to share it too often. It's kind of been – it's got out there a few times, but uh, we'll just hypothetically rookie night, me and him were on a goalpost together, tied up. Yeah, just Stuff crazy that's not stuff. legal these days, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, no um, – no, I don't think it'd be uh, very, um, very good nowadays. I don't think probably, but, <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it just, 
they all left and we were still there. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was, but it was, it, you know, it was, we had a good time, man. Uh, we had a lot of good characters. Um, so we had a really good fun team. That's good to hear. What did you enjoy playing the most? The old line or the D line? Do you like scoring points or stopping guys? Uh, more defensive line. Yeah. That, uh, uh, you know what? The offensive line was good, but I wasn't big enough for it. I tried to pack on cause actually we were hurting the next year. Um, for offensive linemen. So I tried to, I got like 270. I was oh. like, no, this ain't right. And like, yeah. um, so my last year, I was like 260 ish somewhere and I played a little bit of offensive line. But no, I, once I stopped playing football, I dropped all that weight. It was a little, a little too much for my liking. So no, you can't live like that forever. No, no. Well, you never know. Maybe, maybe in a few years, I, you know, I'll see what I can do. You're still buying those pants to grow into them. Is that what your mom doing for you? Well, the lefty, the, these elastic-y, uh, stretchy pants they got in the side are always the key thing. That's what they're all given nowadays, I think. So just in case you put a couple, you know, with a COVID-15, they're calling it nowadays, or, uh, you know, sometimes in season, something like that happens. But uh, A guy like you, you can't be living on the McDouble diet. No, man, I'm not a fast food guy at all. Um, no. But, uh, no, but sometimes, hey, sometimes you just got to go get yourself a, some sort of greasy breakfast, you know, this happens, so. Can't go wrong with a good Baconator. Yeah, you got it. You talked about not being a really solid player and move playing football, but what really made you get into umpiring? Uh, you know what? I just uh, I enjoy I enjoyed the game when I played it. Uh, so once I was playing it, I didn't want to really leave the game, but I knew my calling was coming, that I was not going anywhere with it. Like I said, I played in the crappier division, so it just wasn't enjoyable for me as much anymore. So just to stay in the game, I started to just officiate when I was a little bit younger and uh, you know, and I was playing football at the same time. So they didn't really overlap at the time. They kind of had two different seasons. You play baseball in the summer, you baseball is done, you go right into football. So I get to kind of do both, best of both worlds. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of just stuck with officiating. And then I really enjoyed it. Just enjoyed that side of uh, still be involved in the game and the love of the game was still there. So I say when the baseball bug bites, it really does. It's a beautiful game. I get chirped for it all the time for saying that, but I really do appreciate the game of baseball. It's a beautiful game. It is. Absolutely it is. And I respect the game of baseball and, well, for being this long. And, uh, you know, you, it's it's a, it's a crazy game that you just never know what's going to happen and how talented these players are and what they can do out there. It's it's not what some people think of just throwing the baseball, hitting the ball, uh, making catch, routine catches. It's, uh, it's a tough game, and uh, they make it look easy out there. That's for sure. They make it look fun. That's what I think. You guys do, too. Well, if, if I was that good, it'd be fun too. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, but yeah. when you take a couple steps to your left and you fall down, and you're trying to get a ball. It yeah. look, it's not very fun, is it? No, no. I, I just don't understand these guys in the majors, like how they can position themselves perfectly every time. I mean, you, you're right there. You're four feet away, and you're kind of like, how does the ball always end up between your legs with you don't take a step? It. Yeah. Well, that's a game of analytics too. Now these just get into a big mathematical game, and these guys are hiring these super computer guys and. They're finding the percentage and of all sorts of stuff of, you know, we, we had a short story here that we had a guy that took a pitch on the inside corner was called strike three. Didn't like the call. Thought it was wrong. Um, whatever, you know, this is, you know, we, we, we have conversations um, we have work relationships like, Hey, we'll go look at it. Let me know. <laughs> so we went and looked at it and he's like, yeah, you know what? It, the ball was actually just missed the plate, like just barely. But my guy said it was better for me to take strike three because it was more likely to hit into a double play or uh, a, gr a ground out. So it's probably better that I take that than, than take that for a ball. Wow. That perspective is something when we watch that stuff on TV, the teams are even seeing this now. It's better to take the one out than to potentially give them two outs. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's a, that's because he was a right-handed hitter and yeah. runner at first. Probably he's like more likely I was going to hit to the third baseman if I would have hit that ball. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah well that has officially just spun my mind going like never thought of it like that 
Yeah, but that's what this that's what this game's coming down to. It's uh there's a lot more than these guys just going out there and going to the batting cages and you know, uh there there's a lot more going on to it. Right. But the one thing we talk analytics and we've talked this with other people about how you know simplistic or how complicated they're making it. The fact that they can that they're executing what they're predicting is almost just as marvelous as well. Yeah, I guess it just comes to repetition. You're playing 162 games. Um, you know, these guys that do their homework, their studies, just like, well, you know, I was a football guy. Like these guys watch film as much as the football guys do. They got to see what yep. they know what their pitcher's throwing at this time, and they know what the probability of this going to come over here. And you've seen these guys move one step, two steps between pitches because they know what the pitcher's throwing or you know they're always you know, shortstop second baseman are always communicating to each other what the pitch is and you'll hear him go or something to the first baseman and let him know it's probably coming to him like right when the pitcher's throwing it you know so these guys are all communicating on the field that it's it's more than just run with it <laughs> and see what happens so okay two questions now you talk these guys are communicating on the field there's this year is different of course but let's say last year there's 40,000 fans there can these guys hear each other real well situations yeah for sure baseball is definitely not a you know it's a very social game for people in the stands too um you know it's not non-stop noise again in certain situations you're the ninth inning bases loaded yeah. you're not hearing much okay. uh and doesn't have the stadium you're in too you're yeah, yeah you're in uh, tampa bay you probably hear it uh you're in boston probably not uh so uh it all depends where you're at but no definitely uh in situational wise but yeah no and they they have different signals they do like a second baseman and shortstop till have their glove over their face, open mouth, closed mouth means something. I don't even know what it means, okay, uh, but they yeah. do it all the time. Right. Uh, <laughs> so it just, yeah, they got all sorts of different ways they, they communicate. Right. I mean, signals and signs are part of the game of baseball. Now, we don't have to get into the sign stealing thing, but if you can pick that stuff up as a human being, like more power to you, in my opinion. And that's the game. Yeah. It amazes me about how they can do it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we've had this discussion before. I've had this discussion with other people. Professional athletes are smart individuals. They're, they're smart because they can make quick decisions in fractions of seconds and execute it. Their skill is just in fielding ground balls and making sure they turn two. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that these guys are watching film and everything. Let's talk umpire perspective. Does Major League Baseball provide you with any type of, you know, you know laptops, iPads and stuff? Are you getting post-game feedback right away? I got a few guys that I know work the NHL and they'll tell you... <laughs> I don't even think they have their skates off and the clips already sitting in their inbox. Yeah, we have access, um, you know, of course, access to the game right when right. we walk up the field um, and we can go log on to our computers. Uh, we won't, we have two systems. That's uh, called a Sure system and a zone evaluator system. Uh, sure system is more or less your base uh, plays correct, not correct. Um, your ZE, zone evaluator, um, is a different system. Records every pitch we do, uh, the whole game. Uh, it shows the speed of the pitch. It shows the direction of the pitch. It shows... Everything, uh, if you know where the pitch was, if we got it right, if we got it wrong, how much we got it wrong by, if we did get it wrong, you know, it shows, you know, the imaginary box that everybody could see but me behind there, um, you know. So, it, it, you know, and that one is not accessible right after the game. You know, if you really were that hard up, or you can probably watch the broadcast and it gives you a good idea. That box the broadcast have is isn't exactly, um, you know, correct. Our system, you know, we'll have it the next morning by the time you wake up. Okay, it'll be in your uh, in your system. You can log in and you can watch every pitch. If you had a pitch, a uh, three, two pitch. And, you know, you want to watch it again to make sure you got it right or wrong. And, and you know what, it's a learning tool. Uh, again, I was a football guy. I watched film. Yeah. I'm going to go watch these films. And, um, you know, uh, I remember the pitches that I, you know, I had question about, or, you know, you, you call it, you're like, Oh, well, I could win either way. Maybe and you just, that one sticks out to you. You're going to look at it the next day. And 
uh, you know, you learn from it. So, you, of course, you're not going to see the exact same pitch the next time you're back there, but right. you're going to have a feel. You're going to have a better feel for the outside corner. You're going to have a better feel for the up and down. Uh, you know, the more you call or more, you know, you get correct or not correct, um, you know, that's you're definitely going to learn from it. So, yeah, we definitely have working tools that we use uh, in, in Major League Baseball for our umpires, and uh, it helps us definitely, um, you know, I guess strive to get better each and every game. That's our goal. It's a, we walk out there to be perfect and uh, and only get perfect and get better from there on in. So. Right. Now you talk about getting perfect. We know a player plays 162 games a year. Just quickly, how many games do you umpire on average a year, would you say, on a full-time uh, contract? I'd say between 120 and 130. Okay. Um, we, have, uh, we have negotiated some vacation time that yeah, we take okay. during the summer as well. So, um, you know, just to step away, kind of clear our brains and, you know, um, you know, so we, uh, we, we get some vacation time. So about 120, 130 is an average. Okay. Let's say 130 games. Okay. We talk about wanting to get better. Let's just say tonight you still shot on 97%, but you're like, I didn't feel comfortable with that game, even though you had a great game. Do you go, do you do cage work or do you're kind of like, you know, what do I do? What, how does a professional umpire get better without really just going back out there and doing it again? Uh, you're, yeah, it's, that's a great question. There's really not much you can do. It's not like you okay. can go pick up a cage session. It's like, right. I'm going to watch the back of catcher and a yeah. pitcher to go throw a couple right. for you. Right. Um, but no, it's just one of those things you just kind of, uh, it's, it's mentally preparing yourself and just kind of go back to the basics. Think back right. to umpire school of what they taught you the very first day. And, uh, you know, someone's not feeling right. It's like, well, what's wrong? My, my, my timing off. Am I, am I going too quick? Am I not set? Okay. Am I moving on the pitch? Yeah. Uh, you, and that's what the benefit of these, these films, we can watch ourselves, while the pitch goes in, we don't just don't see a baseball. We actually see live video of you watching this pitch come in. So if I if I'm drifting on a pitch and I'm missing it, that's probably a good indication that I'm not locked in. So when you take it to your next game, you maybe get set an extra second sooner to make sure you're locked in, or or you'll see what you're you know you're coming down as the pitch is coming instead of being locked in. Like there's certain ways that you could definitely watch um, yourself and and learn from that for sure. Now, I want to get away from the major league stuff because I think we're going to come back to it a little bit in the. But I want to talk about your amateur career, okay? So we, that's where we were, and we talked about here in Saskatchewan. Now, do you remember working any provincial championships or any memories from your time as an amateur umpire here? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's I worked against Regina's. You know, we didn't have a big pool to pick from, so maybe I got benefit of the doubt of going to a few. But uh, uh, no, I, I definitely went to a lot of provincials and Western Canadians and, uh, you know, a couple nationals. So, no, definitely every year, That's a, just as a player, you have the competitiveness that you want these assignments too to – do these extra tournaments and do these more competitive, see some better baseball as, a, as an official. So, no, I was I was involved in a lot of those as well, for sure. Now, working here in Saskatchewan, any leagues that you can credit yourself to get better with over the years? You know what? I, I think every league is is, is definitely going to get you there. Uh, I think every repetition is one of the biggest things for baseball. I guess, you know, the more competitive baseball, I guess the smoother the games are, as in you see the better pitching, you see the better hitting, you see, the, you know, and that when you're challenged as an umpire, as, a, as any as a, any sports, if you, someone's going to challenge you. So I was very young and I kind of got into the, you know, the WMBL young and I got, you know, AAA levels young. You know, I was, should have been maybe doing Bantam and I was doing Midget or something. You know, I think they've changed names now, to tell yeah. the truth. Age-wise, um, yep. If you could ever jump a level or, or take that next step and you're challenging yourself, I know for me that <clears throat> that brought the competitiveness in me and uh, it makes you get better. So, But I think just uh, from a standstill of just as an official repetition is the biggest thing. And, um, you know, there's a reason why when in the minor leagues uh, in A-ball you only work uh, two man is because they want you to work the plate every second day. They want you to get these uh, comfortable behind the plate, and then in Double A you go three man, then Triple A is three and four man, and then Major League is four man, of course. Um, but uh, you know, it's there's a reason. Um, you know, they want you behind the plate every second day is to get that repetition, and uh, uh, it's because two man. We all know it's you might not have the best angle out there, um, but right. uh, 
there's more theories behind uh, why you're doing it every time and uh, you know in the minor league levels and stuff right and we talk with amateur umpires one of the things i like to do maybe to put my perspective into it i know if i have a bad game or something at the higher level i do go to a lower level and i, I intend to hammer on that the whole game and so I, all I can do is commend the people when we talk amateur umpire and don't discredit the leagues that you're working, work hard to get that repetition. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, about. absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, that's one thing at, at my level, you can't really step back and go down right. AAA and work on the things. And uh, right. thank goodness they don't have that either. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's the thing is, uh, as an amateur umpire, you just got to get there and work on things. So if uh, you're finding you're struggling or you don't feel comfortable on a plate, pick up a game, uh, you know, in, in a lower level, that's a great idea. And just get back there and get, you know, get your mindset and, and, and figure it out. Now I'm going to pad your ego. It's 2001. We just announced it here today in Saskatchewan, but you were the loose lots for junior official of the year. What can you remember yeah, from getting yeah, that award? And you know, I across my plaque not too long ago. I think I got one of them somewhere. You, you keep it in your trunk now? Do you, uh, you know, in your, in your travel trunk there? No, I don't. I, you know what? It is dear to my heart. I actually do. I, it is, it, but I don't care. With my, we have a weight limit with our trunks, and if we didn't, I would carry it with me. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, no, I, I. That's. I have like one. You know, me and my wife. We when we moved in, we didn't have a lot of stuff, so we each kind of bought up a box of our own stuff, like a memorabilia of like when you're growing up. I have some football stuff. I have some old medals. I have like my Pee Wee football stuff. You know, pictures yeah. and like stuff like that. And uh, that my, that one award and the plaque is in there. And actually, I I, I, I could probably go dig it up. And, nah, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, oh yeah, dig it up. It's on the wall. It's the most prized possession there is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, hey, it did mean a lot. That's uh, that was a big thing. That's uh, and uh, if you, anytime you can get an award and be recognized and for just going out, you know, and all it is it's coming down to hard work, man. Hard exactly. work. And maybe since we're talking about it, let's plug the 2020 baseball Saskatchewan Loose Lots Junior Umpire of the Year. That umpire is Maris Bronze out of Saskatoon. So congratulations, Maris. Yeah, congratulations. Nice work, man. Yeah, and the, the senior umpire of the year out of Wilkie, Saskatchewan, Kirk Schaefer. So another plug there, boys. Congratulations. There, nice work. Nice work. So moving out of Saskatchewan, you did have the opportunity to be involved in the Baseball Canada umpire program. How many national championships did you attend? I attended two. I actually went to umpire school uh, kind of in the in the middle of both of those, um, you know, not knowing if I was, you know, a going to get a job or not. Just uh, you know, my first initial time <clears throat> or going to go to umpire school was a. I was going to, want to try to go professional, but worst case scenario, if I went, I knew I was going to learn a crap load of information from the best and the best, you know, um, and then bring it back to the province. Worst case scenario, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a job out of there. But I had to sit out my first year, um, so I continued to do amateur baseball that year afterwards, and I was fortunate to get an assignment as well. Um, going forward so uh, yeah no absolutely it's I've uh, done two national tournaments uh, they're incredible events and you know both both venues were incredible it's good to, you know I got to travel a little bit over in Canada um, you know out east and to Guelph in the one and then Medicine Hat for the other so you know it definitely wasn't just uh, a stone throw away going to the old moose uh, moose jar or something but even though hey <laughs> I, I like me some moose jar we still do some good tournaments yeah. on that Father's Day and uh, you know stuff like that we, we had some good uh, good tournaments out there some good times and Again, some of that stuff, uh, we'll just uh, keep uh, off the air for sure, too. We know, you know, we have some fun out there. Okay, I don't like to jump back and forth, but I think I have to now. You've given me the segue. One of your national championships was a 21U championship, or junior, am I correct? Correct. I want to bring you back to a championship here in Saskatchewan. Was it Melville? Maybe it had been a junior championship. Do you remember that at all? I think a supervisor there by the name of Trevor Drury might have been there. In <laughs> no, the- I- 
What do you? What kind of dirt are you digging up on me here, man? What's no, going we, on here? We might have talked about this on a previous episode, actually. And uh, I'm going to quote Trevor, and he says, "A young punk named Stu." <laughs> <laughs> well, you even mentioned my name. That's messed up, man. Yeah. I hope you get to bleep that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I could dig up the sound bite if you dig up the plaque. So we'll get to that another day. And I had a crew with uh, Chad Wagner, a Larry Schrader, Trevor Stoichel, and this young punk named Stu. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, Trevor Stoiko, the brother of former Canadian Olympian Elvis Stoiko, was there. Yeah, Trevor Stoiko was there. Can you confirm that Chad Wagner was there? Yeah, me, I might have drove up to Chad Wagner, actually, I think. Yeah, that was, uh, we actually carpooled. You know, we were trying to do our part, stay green, you know, and cutting those emissions out. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Just very fortunate you survived that drive, considering the situation. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we survived it. You know, like there was a lot of wildlife around, though, man. We were dodging the, all sorts of stuff. But no, uh, you know, a couple close calls, um, maybe one closer to maybe our supervisor than there actually was, but it wasn't, um, hypothetically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hear it. He, he still, I think he takes medication for the stress that he had to endure that weekend. He was on his way and apparently a couple umpires didn't show up. That's all I've been told. Uh, well, I think that the story's a little skewed there. Not that we didn't show up. We were on our way. We were there going to be there in plenty enough time. We decided just to call him and we knew this was, I think it was his very first, supervisional job he had yeah as anybody is going to go out doing something for the very first time you want to put your good first impression and stuff and so um we we could sense we've known trevor for a long time we could sense his uh that he was a little probably a little nervous so i thought we'd just kind of jack his nerves up a little bit and kind of hypothetically maybe tell him we weren't going to show up uh, because we hit a deer or something like that <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know but you know what but it i will tell you his first comment was, he made sure we were okay. Now, I, I don't know if he was wow. wondering if we were okay just to make sure we'd still make it to our game at probably 4 <laughs> o'clock or something like that, or if he actually was really worried for our for our well-being. I, I'm not quite sure yet. That's still to be determined. Um, and I guess we'll have to uh, uh, let him be the yeah. one to uh, let us that let us know that. But, um, yeah, no, he that was the first thing was, are you guys okay? Um, and then there was a little, after the cow was out of the bag, there was more words than that. Fair enough. Our way. I guess as a supervisor, it's kind of like your manager at work. The first thing they worry about is themselves, and then they worry about everything else. So it depends on how you want to take the answer or that frame that question. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to the national championships, because you do go to the 21U championship probably later that year or another year. Remember some of the guys that were there at that championship? Uh, You know what? Yeah, there's a few guys in my, my crew. Uh, I'm bad with names. Uh, Schellenberg, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, Harry Schellenberg. I can't say it, but Harry Schellenberg from, I think it was Manitoba. And um, Peru? Peru as a, uh, Denny Peru used to be a guy around that time out of Quebec. Yeah, Dennis. yeah. I think those, that was my crew were those two guys. Um, I was a little three-man, young punk, according to Trevor Jury, three-man there. And those were my boys. I think Harry was our chief. Uh, if I do reckon right, and I think, uh, I'm trying to think, I know one of our supervisors was Dale LeGrow. Uh, Dale LeGrow. Was it Dale yeah. LeGrow at that one? I'm I'm looking at a sheet here. I'll, I'll tell you I'm cheating. But Ben Mercier, uh, ben Dr. Mercier, yeah. Dave Lavarado, rest in peace, Todd Dorothy, Martin Gravel, Trevor Dreve, Don Haas, Jamie Killingsworth, Jamie Moore, Denny Perot, Joel Rogers, Harry Schlellenberg, uh, Stu Sherwood, uh, H2O, 
Pierre Simard and Chaba Vey. Mm-hmm. That's my boys. Yeah, those were that's that was my junior under twenty, as you call it now. But uh, me and Trevor Grieve, who actually was an ex minor league guy at the time, um, we really connected uh, at that tournament. Um, being he was just uh, you know he stepped away from the minor leagues, um, you know decided to come back home, um, get in the police force, but still worked amateur baseball. And knowing that he knew I was going in because this was my second national, uh, and this was the one between right before I went to professional. He knew I was going, so he helped me out a ton. Uh, he was awesome, gave me a bunch of jerseys. So we kind of really connected there. And actually, uh, to this day, we still talk on a regular daily basis, if not, you know, if not every day, every second day. So, yeah, it's, uh, we've had a really good friendship coming from baseball for sure. That's fantastic to hear. One thing about Trevor, you can say that Trevor was supposed to go to the Olympics this year and kind of got delayed. So I just want to send a shout out to Trevor, wish him all the best in 2021 as they push for the Olympic bid. Now, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just phenomenal to see Canadian umpires striving on, like yourself, the professional circuit and on the international stage. It just speaks to the level of Baseball Canada umpire program and a lot of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes and, of course, to the individuals on the field. Well, there's no doubt. I know, uh, you know, Larry Young uh, with MLB, uh, he's uh, one of the international guys who have, <clears throat> has a lot of say, um, watches the international amateur umpires a lot and, he has nothing good to say about uh, Canadian umpires and stuff like that. So uh, I know um, Trevor's had a lot of opportunities uh, with WBC and now the Olympics, and um, he's going to he's gonna nail it. He's an incredible umpire, incredible human being. He's going to do great out there, out in uh, uh, Asia. So it's going to be great. Yeah, it is. I, I look forward to it. Unfortunately, the Olympics won't be around in 2024. But Trevor will get to join an exclusive club that only ha- – he'll be the ninth member, an Olympian umpire from Canada. So all the best, Trevor. Now, back to the Baseball Canada National Championships. Do you have any fun stories or memories from your championships? You know what? That was a long time ago, and I've taken a lot of headshots since. But, no, there's a few that have uh, stick, stuck out. But, uh, you know, it just uh, it was a great uh, great tournament. We had a lot of great guys. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to work the gold medal uh, first base uh, job with Trevor. Trevor was actually on the plate. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, again, Trevor Drury's young punk. <laughs> Um, coming up just out of umpire school and of course, you know, know it all. Why not throwing situation like in the first or second inning? Uh, so, you know, we're out there, Trevor's man and like he does out there. And, uh, I'm probably looking like a dead in, or a deer in headlights. Uh, um, no pun intended for that Trevor jury. If you're listening to that, there was no deer. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great opportunity to work first base in the gold medal game as a, as a final day assignment. And, um, you know, got to do a semi-final plate uh, earlier that day. Um, so, no, the greatest time is coming out of that. So, How would you say the Baseball Canada program helped you get to that next level? Oh, not just helped me. It's, it's, it's got me to that next level. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and not just Baseball Canada. I'll start back to Baseball Regina, um, you know, uh, Baseball Saskatchewan, to Baseball uh, Canada. That's the foundation. That's my. Uh, that, that's what I built off of uh, these guys. That the very first clinic I walked into, these guys are the ones that uh, I guess put the first, uh, you know, I guess mold of piece of clay together um, for me to uh, to build off of. And uh, I, I give all my credit um, right back from the Regina guys to the SAS guys to Baseball Canada. That's uh, if it wasn't for them, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And I think it's also proven that uh, and there's other guys that are. They're working their way up um, through the ranks right now. We got uh, Kevin Matzik and uh, uh, Craig Burt out of BC, just, you know, dang COVID year, but um, he was hired on as a, into the minor league, just hasn't got there yet. He will, I believe, this year, as long as everything goes well. I know there's some restructuring going on, but 
uh, you know, Baseball Canada, um, the, the program and the curriculum they have is has all the tools and, uh, you know, the people uh, that are working for them and, and, and supervisors and umpires are, are it's, it's showing that we're bringing out some products and, and not just professional level. Like we go back to the amateur level. Some of these guys are sent to national tournaments, to international tournaments, to Olympics, uh, like Trevor right now. Right. So uh, it's not just, uh, you know, baseball is, people always, they think of baseball in Canada, think of, you know, pretty much BC and Ontario because they have, a, you know, they have a little bit longer seasons. It's kind of more hotbed players come from there, but hey, you have more to pick from. But, you know, Saskatchewan, you know, uh, you know they don't really think that because our summers aren't as long. Right. Um, you know, but uh, the program we have and the guys that are instructing and supervising and um, uh, it, it's really shown that uh, we, we make the most of what the time we have uh, and had the few months we have and, and brought some really good uh, um, professional umpires, uh, you know, out of it. So you're right. And the one thing that the guys in Saskatchewan and I'll say across the country, too, is that we care. People care about the game of baseball. They care about being the best umpire they can be. And every game championship is just an opportunity to show that because you never know who's going to watch you never know what maybe next year you're just like yeah i'm going to take that shot at professional baseball and go to umpire school and maybe get to the next level so you, you got to make sure every game is valuable yeah there's that that's absolutely right and um you know that's one thing and I mean, why take a game off uh, that's the thing you know yeah. for your own uh, yeah that's one thing about saskatchewan guys and that i know i've worked with you don't take a game off because it take a lot of pride in what we do out here, uh, you know. So right. it's definitely, uh, you know, a good thing to, like you said, you don't know who's watching or, you know, and you just, if you want to get to that next level, it's uh, like we backtracked before, is it's a repetition. You got to get better every day. It's not just going to come uh, doing a couple games a year. Uh, if you want to get to that next step, it's going to take time and yeah. uh, and uh, and some dedication to get where you need to get. For sure. Now, talking about dedication, how many times did you go to umpire school? I just went once. Oh, um, you know. Okay. I went in, um, like I said, kind of blind, hoping I'd get a professional job out of it. Okay. Um, if I, you know, again, I had a goal of a getting in there. If I didn't, I was, you know, I, I did enjoy it. And before, let's say evaluation day, uh, I kind of gave myself this little pep talk that if I don't get this, I'm going to come back and you know get it in my second year. I, right. My plan, if I didn't get the first year, was going to be two years. Attending umpire school more than once—that's not uncommon for some guys, is it? Oh God, no, um, no. There's a lot of guys that. Uh, in, in professional baseball, the major leagues that have gone umpire school twice. And yeah. as I did, instru- I instructed at the Harry Wendell said umpire school for many years. And uh, we saw guys come through uh, the first year that uh, were, you know, I wouldn't even say middle of pack kind of guys. And then they come back a second year, they go home, they work on things and, and they're the top of the class. It just, uh, some guys just develop uh, a little bit lighter and um, sometimes you just need a little bit more repetition um, and, and a little more practice. And, uh, working on your skills and the trades that uh, they taught at umpire school and uh and they came back and uh, so no absolutely not and uh, of course it, it's tough to spend the whole january in daytona beach florida and uh, you know and it, to get away from these darn sasky uh winners are tough but you know it wouldn't be a terrible thing if you had to go back a second time I'm just <laughs> don't don't blame them at all now and some guys just need to be told the right way to do things. That's one of the things I like about the Baseball Canada program is that we we really take the official rules of baseball and the philosophies of professional baseball and really implement it through the program from the base. So we get a good foundation. So it probably helps a lot of guys when they go and you get to instruct them and go, oh yeah, you have a postal code, not a zip code. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, right. And that, and actually here's a, a shout out for the Saska, you know, guys that, 
coming along my way. And I remember I was at umpire school out in field three um, and just working on reputations. We're getting going through some drills and I uh, look over the, you know, there's Jerry Lane, Eddie Hickox, Hunter Wendelstead. You know, we call them the black shirts because they're all wearing the major league black uniforms. Right. We're all down the fence and Jerry Lane yells over. He's like, hey, Sherwater. I was like, oh, oh gosh. Like, yes, yeah, sir. Come here for a second. I was like, okay. So run over there and he's like, hey, have, have you ever been to umpire school? I said, no, this is my first year. He's like, you haven't, didn't go ever go to another umpire school. I was like, no, no, this is my, this is my very first year at umpire school. He's like, I don't know what you've done, but he's like, you got a great, great skill set. Keep out, you know, keep working hard and, and just get back out there. You know, you know, going back to the line, I was thinking, my, and all I could do was think, was like, you know, this guy is, you know, not mistaken me, but uh, he, he thinks that the talents or the skills that I have right now are been taught from another umpire school possibly. So that's just a, shows a, a credit to, the, you know, Regina baseball guys, South baseball guys, baseball Canada, um, that uh, have helped me on my way because what we're doing and teaching and uh, here in Canada is uh, is is catching eyes um, before they even go to umpire school. So now a guy like you, as a young umpire, not even in the system, gets feedback like that. Have you ever brought that back up to Jerry and say, does he remember it at all? Did you ever touch? Base? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've worked with Jerry before when I was up and down, and we'll talk about it. And I I, I worked with Jerry on staff a few years when I was teaching there. Uh, you know, we we we've wrapped about it before okay. and. Uh, course he's he's a good he's gonna bust you up a little bit and he'll probably say he didn't vote for me anyways or something like that just kind of guy you know just he'll joke around with you and like yeah i thought you were good that day but i probably didn't vote for you yeah the other guys kept you in there you got lucky you know yeah so yeah you know absolutely we've talked about it keeps his cards close to his chest yeah he can't bluff but he can't bluff (laughs) now that you mentioned guys go to pro school a couple times and I think I just got to drop it because I've listened to another podcast Jerry Davis does a podcast there and I'm infatuated I love the Phil Cuzzy story so I kind of recommend everyone to go find I think it's Jerry it's 12 for 12 with Jerry Davis go listen to Phil Cuzzy story I think Phil went to school four times and you know I yeah, yeah I don't know but he went three times and you know things happened in the 90s we want we don't have to go there but you know, luck of the draw and really worked hard to get back there. So it just says, if you have a dream, doesn't mean you're always going to achieve it, but don't give up on it. If it really means something no, to you. Absolutely. No, if that's something you want to do, just got to keep reaching, keep going for it, man. And, uh, uh, yeah, like you said, you just never know the fourth time still got you there. Uh, right. doesn't matter uh, how many times you went, you're there now. So now you get hired in Minor professional baseball. Do you remember where your first game was? Your kind of that first season. Any jitters at all coming from amateur baseball? And now you're you're getting paid probably less game fee than you were as an amateur umpire. But yeah, uh, my very first assignment was uh, the Gulf Coast uh, Extended League. Um, so extended spring training, it's called, or something like that. And so <clears throat> it'd be right before. Um, or sorry, after um, major league spring training, before short season, short season starts in June or July. They need to, um, I guess, fill that gap and let the players still play before they start short season. So they do the Gulf Coast and Arizona League uh, extended spring. Um, and it, yeah, I was out there, and uh, no, I I remember walking on the field, and uh, you know, the course they use the Cloverleaf Fields and behind the the stadiums where uh, the not major league stadiums, minor league stadiums. Right. So yeah, they're still pretty big the spring training complexes, but walking out there and let's, I think I was at the Phillies and of course everything's, you know, you got Philly signs everywhere. You got all these, you know, you're like, man, I've really made it to the big leagues. This is awesome. <laughs> you think this is it? 
awesome cloverleaf with like four fields all backing each other and there's no fans that the people are you know, working the scoreboard are actually just like uh, bullpen pitchers that I pitched yesterday or something. So uh, you just think it's the biggest thing ever, uh, you know, and, uh, but you don't care, man. Your, your goal is just to go out there and, you know, you're just happy to, to, to have a job in professional baseball and you're working hard. Uh, you know, like you said, you don't never know who's watching. There's, and especially it was in Florida. So there's the Florida state league was going on. So their supervisors roam around. You just never know if they're going to come trickle out to your field uh, and take a peek at you. So, it was always working hard, but honestly, you didn't even, uh, you know, looking back at it now, it's like, wow, that's, I was super pumped up to be on a Cloverleaf field. Like, it, it, it's nothing, you know, but it really was to you at that time because that was your first touch of professional baseball. I was getting paid to work a baseball game. Uh, that was my job, uh, uh, you know, just not amateur-wise. So it was it was, it was kind of a cool thing, and, um, you know, that's for sure. That was, like, kind of my first taste, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. So even though they work in front of fans these days, Every major league umpire is used to working in front of no fans pre-COVID. <laughs> if you went, if you went through uh, the, the Arizona and the Gulf Coast leagues, yes, absolutely. So yeah, no, that's why. That's why it was, it was a little. It was easier for me than uh, maybe some guys that skipped them right to the New York Penn League. Okay. You know? So yeah. yeah, no. There's always the guys that take the shortcuts. You know which ones they are. <laughs> so we're talking minor professional baseball. Think of all the leagues you worked. What do you think was the biggest jump? that maybe you had the most difficulty with or, or were you just kind of acknowledged like, Hey, like this is a bigger jump from what I was just doing. Uh, you know, uh, I know they're restructured now, but they, they had four A ball leagues. Then they had double A and triple A. Um, would you say like, a, yeah, football. like a to double A, double A to triple A. I mean, we kind of joke a lot of, a lot of guys. So you'll hear four A ball players. They're kind of not good enough for major league baseball, but too good for triple A. And right. Like, where would you think no, the biggest I, jump is? I think that, well, I think anytime you do a jump from like high A to double A was a huge jump okay. um, because A, you're learning, not just uh, in A ball, you're learning, or you only know the two man system. Um, it's, you once, and like you guys all know, once you jump to a three man system, it's different instincts, different positioning. Um, it's just different. Yeah, you're just, your instincts are all two man based, um, where it's, a, you have more time, you have better angles, <laughs> things you've never seen before. Um, you know, so that, that's just the adjustment. Now you're learning the system too. Um, you know, and then of course the, I think the double A to triple A jump is, is a huge one too. Cause now you're, now you're knocking on the doorstep. Um, you know, you're out there, you're trying to get, you know, the look from major league baseball. Now you're working three to man, you know, but you're working four man as well. Um, so now you're, again, you're, you're re-racking, uh, in positioning again and learning the system of four man. But, uh, yeah, I think both, those are the two biggest jumps. Uh, but I think anytime you jump a league, um, just like, uh, it's, those players are getting better. They're getting faster. They're getting stronger. Every league you go to, um, uh, is, is that much better. So there's always that transition period. Um, and, and, you know, it, it comes with it too. When you go from a ball stadiums to double a stadiums, you're getting more of the, you know, the hype, the, you know, it just seems like more like bigger baseball and then you get the AAA and, you know, hopefully um, people that do get the knock on the door and, the, and go to the major leagues, it's just, there's just more atmosphere. There's more everything around it. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I think those are the biggest jumps. Double A to triple A was definitely big, but I think A ball to double A was really big as well. Okay. Let's make the jump to major league baseball. Do you remember the time you got the call or how did you get told that you're going to get, you're a call up guy? Yeah. Oh, I was actually in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, we we're just going back from lunch, me and my, one of my crewmates and got a call from one of my supervisors and, you know, he was a umpire school instructor back in the day too. And you know, we're all I like to bust each other up a little bit. So when he called, he kind of, you know, he had our 
you know, our, our league president on as well. And they're just like, Hey Stu, we just want to you know, have a talk to you. And I was I'm like, Oh crap. What am I, what do I do now? I <laughs> must've done something. I screwed something up. Am <laughs> um, I getting released? I didn't know what was going on. And they kind of, uh, they kind of really lead you on to like, you know, you, you've had some things to work on, you know, and you, you know, and then you just haven't, haven't quite got there yet. And, you know, and so now they're really bringing you down. Like you did something crappy and then, and then he broke through, you know, after you're pretty much, I'm at the floorboards of my, of the car, the rental van or something. Uh, he, he eventually told me that I was going to go to LA to, to work my first series. Um, so it, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience um, to get that phone call. That was something that I'll never forget. Um, you know, just, I, I actually picture the street that I was on and, and just pulling up to the holiday and express, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, it was, uh, it, yeah, no, it was something that I'll never forget. And it was a cool moment to, to know, um, I get to go to the major leagues next, the, the following week and, wow. um, and work my first series. Well, at least the benefit of the Holiday Inn Express is they have breakfast, so you didn't have to pay for it on your on your AAA. Oh, and the HGG points, whatever they call them, those are yeah. I got myself a couple free hotel nights too. <laughs> yep. Hey, hey, somebody's got to get a point hog, man. You got to get those I'm, points. Don't blame you. I'm sure you got a ton of points right now. Oh, well, it's one of the perks of the job. You gotta you gotta collect those points and go on vacations, and yeah, you gotta use them. You know, you have to let them sit there. You gotta right. use them. Yeah, you know, once you die, they they don't transfer over. They're non-transferable, mm-hmm. so. They don't, they give them out for free, but you got to take them. Yeah. Okay. Now let's fast forward a week, April 25th, 2014, the LA Dodgers versus the Colorado Rockies at Dodger stadium walking on that field, man, what were you thinking? I I don't, I I do get nervous. Don't get me wrong, but like, I wasn't nervous walking on the field. I was more nervous. Like in a locker room, you're like, you're, you're the the hype to the amp up to getting out on the field was the biggest thing. Like when I get nervous, I just kind of don't talk. Um, you know, so I was kind of just sitting in, uh, in my little, my locker and, you know, of course the boys did a great job. You know, I, I had a great crew, um, you know, um, these guys made me feel comfortable. Uh, it was, uh, Larry Vanover, uh, Paul Nart and Angel Hernandez. These guys would, they made me feel like a big league umpire. Um, these guys were a- incredible human beings, um, that made me feel comfortable, made me feel like I belonged. Um, so th- they kind of took that edge off me. So when we actually did walk on the field and we walk up those stairs, you kind of, you got crowd uh, to your right. You, you kind of walk right beside the, the, the backstop um, celebrities all over the place. And um, you know, once you walk in the field though, and the Dodgers team has one of the loudest center field speakers. Like this thing, like, I don't know how their center fielders don't like wear earplugs. This thing is so loud. I, <laughs> uh, you know, it's boom when we come on there, but then, you know, once I walked in the field, it was just like, it's just another game, I, you know, even though it wasn't, but it, it just kind of, once I got on the field, it's like, all right, I made it. You know, I had my wife in the stands, I had some friends uh, in the stands. So, uh, you know, I, it, I got to touch Major League Baseball field. They can never take that away from me. No matter what's going to happen in that game, uh, I got to the big leagues. And uh, once I got on the field, and like I said, those guys made me feel as comfortable as could be. I started at second base. Um, so I remember my very first call, um, you know, I think it was maybe the first or second inning. It was just a home run. Um, I yes, the old Puig hit it, and I I pumped the crap out of this home run. It might have been like twenty five rows up, and I was selling it like it was a pole bender, or like over the top of the pole or something. Uh, you know, so I, I thought it was pretty cool. And then uh, I had a play where um, not too much longer, I was D Gordon hit the ball. I think it went off the second baseman and kind of trickled out to the outfield, um, and he decided to how fast D Gordon is. He decides to try to stretch into two and. So um, 
on the second base side of you know behind second base and of course he goes out in right field so now i gotta go to the shortstop side and i see the play developing i see d gordon the slide in the front so i get my position he's safe by like 20 feet i think and i don't even know i'm safe in the crap out of this i'm flying away like <laughs> i probably jumped out of my shoes said yelling safe and uh, you know the guys i don't they didn't of course they weren't gonna say anything they're probably like holy cow kid gotta settle down here uh, but no it was just it was uh, those two calls really stand out to me um uh, my first two calls and you know and then the rest was pretty much clean the rest of the game so it, it really got my feet wet but it was good well we hope you're enjoying the show so far this is one of our famous leading edge post-show edits where we like to throw clips in the show description if we can find video to prove what is being said and MLB tuttles it. Gordon hustles for a double in the infield. So check out a link in the show description for Stu Shearwater's first ever call in Major League Baseball. Now back to the show. Now you're at Dodger Stadium. The game hasn't even started yet. And somehow you get to jump right into MLB umpire tradition and get to wave to the famous Ben Scully. Can you share with us your emotions in that moment and kind of how the tradition of umpires waving to Vin Scully all started? Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's one of our traditions, uh, you know, that was really kind of started a long time ago. Vin was, uh, he was always very, very good to the umpires, uh, you know, and I, I think, uh, you know, whoever started this and, you know, to wave up to Vin Scully is, uh, I, he was not one to trash us. <laughs> right. So or we, we waved at the guy. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Scully, Mr. Scully was definitely one of those guys that was always very respectful to the umpires and, uh, you know, and, and showed uh, showed our respect to him, and we and he waved back down to us, and it was kind of a cool thing for my very first game. And uh, I didn't know what it went on though, but the, I guess he when during the game he had a little little shout out to me, and my my dad was watching on TV, and uh, you know he grew up listening to to Vin Scully, you know what you know guy guy worked baseball for a million years by himself. Uh, so my, uh, listen to Vin Scully growing up, and to now Vin Scully to mention my name, and to, you know to to talk good about it. That's what it really got to my dad that, that, uh, you know, that I got to the major leagues when, when Vince Kelly was talking about me. So that was kind of cool for, for my family to, to hear that. And, you know, especially my dad who, who's a baseball fan and, and to, to hear Vince Kelly, uh, give a little shout out was kind of nice. Have you had the chance to meet Vin personally? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, nice. he's, he's come down the locker room and he'll, he'll say hello. Um, uh, again, his first couple of years in the game, he's been out for a couple of years now. Right. Um, a year or two, I guess, but uh, yeah, no, he was a, he's a very nice gentleman. Um, if I would add, uh, you know, it's kind of like a starstruck by him in a way, right? Um, but if I had some more thoughts behind me, I would have got him to sign a baseball or something, but I never did. I kind of made him drop the ball on that, so but no, it's uh, yeah, he's a he's an incredible human. You talk about working your first game this year was a special year. Did you have the opportunity to work a first game with any of the call ups this year? Yeah, uh, actually, um, I believe I worked. Two, two brand new, um, you know, umpires in the call-up list that got to work them, and I, I remember being there. So I, I hope I did what those guys did to me is try to make these guys feel comfortable. And you now I was very fortunate when I worked my first game at second base. You know, uh, these guys got their heads together and they got the grounds crew to pull second base, and uh, you know, they're like, oh, how do you know it's the real base? Well, it's a th- it's authenticated, but also it rained that day in Dodger Stadium. Uh, it never rains at Dodger Stadium, like very rarely. So there's still like mud all over it and stuff. So it was wow. kind of cool that. So after the game, they had the, the second base there, you know, like champagne, they had baseball oh. sign, you know, nice card from all of them and stuff. Um, you know, so uh, you know, we tried to do as much as we could. Uh, you know, this year as well, just kind of make these guys give them much like um, swag for them. Like I, I got like the bullpen, or not the bullpen, sorry, the uh, the big. Um, 
lineup cards that are in the dugout, like the, the giant size ones, you know, so we made sure we got all the guys that, um, you know, so um, we did as much as we could too. And I, I, I tried to make them feel as comfortable and, you know, feel they got to the big league. So they're big league umpires. So yeah. you try got to do um, to, to get them to feel comfortable. Cause I remember my nerves, my first game, uh, you know, gets in the locker room. So just trying to, Take, take the ease off of it and so they can jump in there and, and feel natural because you all know the more comfortable you feel out there, the better you're going to be. No question. And considering it's 2020, I assume you offered them a 2020 Stu Shearwater authenticated face mask? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, one guy, uh, Junior Valentine, because uh, I wore the gator style and he was wearing like the the mask style. And he was like, man, I like that. So I pulled one out of my bag. I had an extra one. So he actually does have a, a gator from me. So, no, that's that's funny you say that. That's, that's fun. You mean you just didn't take yours off and give it to him? It's not like, hey, you want to well, want to try my shin pads? I'd go against the COVID protocols <laughs> of uh, passing, uh, uh, sharing masks. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that is a, a thing. I've never read that you're not supposed to share masks, but I just don't think I mean, it's common sense. I don't know. Uh, just throwing it out there. There always has to be a disclaimer and everything, and that's the new disclaimer. Please don't share this mask. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So you're a call up for a few years. Quickly, what would you say is the most stressful thing about being a call up? Oh, God, there's it's never ends to tell the truth. There's right. been, uh, you know, it just everything about it is, you know, you never know. You live on a week by week um, schedule. Yeah. You never know where you're going to be. Um, you're every game you're out there um, not saying you think it's going to be your last because, you know, you don't want to screw up anything. You don't want to screw up a situation. You don't want to miss a pitch. You don't want to miss a play because um, you want to get to the big leagues. And then, you know, when you get to the big leagues, you don't mess anything up. So uh, the, the, the pressure and the stress you have as a call up is, is intensified and microscoped by like a thousand times. Cause uh, there's, there's only a few of you out there, um, you know, so you're all competing and you're all good at this point. And when you're at this level, Everybody calls safes out, uh, ball strikes. It's now it's how do you separate yourself? Um, you know, you, you don't want the routine games. You don't want to just sit there and say, oh, man, I had three plays today and they're all wide open. I really nailed that game. No, it's not what you want. You want an obstruction. You want an interference. You want a balk. You want, a, uh, you want something, some sort of uh, a play to, to show your, your talents uh, and, uh, uh, and I guess whatever tools you have in your bag to, to, to show that you're not just the average Joe um, umpire out there to, you know, you want to separate yourself from the other uh, call up guys. And uh, so uh, how, how much it sucks and uh, you know, to have a non-routine game, uh, they're the best ones to have, especially if you nail them. Uh, and you know, sometimes if you don't nail them, you might make a mistake, but you might show some instincts doing it. And that goes a long ways too. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Like, you know, our supervisors know we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect, you know, especially, you know, we're still trying to get there. You might not get everything right, and, and you can't get everything right. You're not going to. If you work hard doing it and, um, you know, show some instincts, uh, it might still go a long ways for sure. And the benefit, per se, of your employer, Major League Baseball, they've tried to improve on that, and they've put a system in called Replay so that you guys can get as many calls right as you can. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's something that uh, they, they put in the system a few years ago, and I think 14 was the very first year, so... I've only really known the 13, actually 13 might've been the first. I'm not, I mean, there's been different variations of replay, like, but for sure, but no, it's been something that I've always grown up with. Um, where replay's always been in the game with major league baseball for me. So, and there's a lot of mixed uh, feelings on it, but I know at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to go home and put my head on the pillow every single night. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, I'd say we got every call, right. Um, you might not got it right initially, but we're going to get it. We're going to fix it. 
Right. Um, so it's definitely a benefit that way that, uh, and, and, you know, we all know that uh, sometimes we just can't beat some of these cameras. These super, super slow modes are, are incredible. Um, you know, I, I definitely our guys are good. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But uh, sometimes when you have these whack whacker plays, and uh, they, uh, it's something else. Um, so it, 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 so you're just not getting them all right. And, uh, you know, when we have a system to fix that and we're going to do it. It's all we can ask for. We're always working to get better. Now, while we're talking replay, we all know what it's like to be on the field. What is it like to be in the replay booth? Yeah, uh, well, you're an extension of that game, really. Realistically, oh, uh, yep, <clears throat> you're the fifth umpire out there. So you're watching that game. You're uh, you're, you're going to be ready at all hands. And, and you know what? Replay's there for, you know, safe outs. Uh, but they're also there for uh, rules and uh, interpretation as well. So, you know, we, we got to be there just in case something funky happens and uh, they come to the headsets on maybe a, a replay regulation or, a, you know, a, re- a rules uh, you know, a uh, roadblock question that maybe something happened and, um, you know, so that's, that's something that we're the last line of defense really to get that play right for that game. Um, so, you know, when you're sitting there and you have a game when, uh, and nothing happens, it's relatively easy, yeah. but, uh, you know, when, when you, your, your station goes off and you have a close play, that's the last thing you want to do is get it wrong in the yeah. booth. So you're going to make sure you get, you know, and there's some, there's some tough plays. People are like, Oh, that's wide open. It's like, there's some really non-wide open plays in there too, and they're they're tough. So, but like I said, you're the you're the fifth umpire out there and last line of defense. So, we're, and you're going to make sure you're ready for anything when they come to you on the headsets. And and the interpretation of safe outs has changed even with the super slow motion replay. And you know we're we're seeing this microscopic out that let's be honest, we're not going to catch that. Doesn't matter what level of umpire you are when it's three hairs and a quarter width away. Oh yeah, and if you if you do, yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. You probably just guessed right. <laughs> you have a fifty-fifty chance sometime, man. Right, right. Like nice. I'd be lying if I if I didn't say like, wow, that was close. And you know, you yeah. you're pretty certain, but you're like, there's still that little bit of doubt in your mind. So there's a you know, there's, sometimes you get lucky too out there. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, you're you're just waiting for X player to scream in with the I love the international sign now where they put two hands over their ears. You're just like, okay, here we go. Uh, or the player that, you know, you call him out at second base and he's pointing the dugout right away to look at it. Like, they look at every single play, man. I don't know why you have to tell them to look at it. Like, it's it's going to happen. Um, and, and, so that really gets me but the best, you know, and then like, let's say that the dugout does like say, oh, no, we're good. They wave it off and that player just runs off and I'm just going like, man, I wish I could say something right now. You know, yeah. like, uh, oh, we can't. That's all right. We can. Now, two more dates, maybe one date that relieved a little stress from you and one date that put a little more on you. December 21st, 2017, is that that the day that the dream, I'm going to say, died or got reborn? Uh, No, it was a dream come true, that's for sure. Um, That was definitely um, getting that call um, to be hired is is something I achieved or or worked towards to achieve um, 11 years in the minor leagues. Um, A lot of grind and a lot of time away from home, uh, a lot of time in long van rides, traveling all over the country, you know, just to to finally know where my life was going and in what direction was something that, that, you know, very relieving, um, you know, that I was going to be able to have a job for the rest of my career as a professional umpire and support my family. And it was, yeah, definitely uh, that dream come true and something I worked so hard to get. And I couldn't even, I'm glad I've never been in that position where I didn't get my dreams crashed, but uh, I I feel bad for every guy that doesn't get in. And it's, it's something everybody works so hard for. And there's guys that, you know, put, your your majority of your 20s and your 30s um into this into this career and uh you know it is a slim pickings job there's only 76 of us out there and it's not the turnover's not a lot there's a lot of guys that you know they put a lot of years into 
eventually get released. And, um, you know, I was very, very, very fortunate enough. My, uh, my stars all aligned and, uh, and I got the call, um, to get hired and be part of that 76. Do you still wake up and go, wow, I am a major league umpire. Yeah. You definitely have first, you, you know, you know, like you have the first couple of years that you're on probation, didn't get any playoff situations. And you, you want you flip on the game and you see a guy crazy call at first. You're like, man, he's good. You're like, you know, one, you know, like one day that's going to be me out there. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, no, it, it's some days it, it was very, very incredible and surreal. And I got my feet wet. I've been there for a few years now. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I just, I'm going to keep on striving to get better and, and keep on getting more right. things. But, you know, I, I earned that spot though. It's mine. So right. I, it's definitely not make believe it's, uh, I put everything into it and now, I, now I just took it. I'm going to put a little stress back onto your plate. September 30th, 2020. You've made that yeah. next step. What's that like? Your first playoff game? Well, definitely with the expanded format, we end up doing a three game now in the wild card. And, you know, we we're all having our predictions that, you know, they're going to send a bunch of the veteran guys out there because you only have three games set to get that call and say, yeah, you're going to be working the wild card. I was, you know, I was, I was pretty excited. And then they said my very first game is going to be um, behind the plate. And, you know, for my very first playoff experience to be behind the plate um, was yeah. definitely, you know, it was, it was something that, kind of reminds you of like when you first get that call to, to go to the big leagues it's kind of that kind of that feeling it's just everything else is a we're already under a microscope now to even a bigger one uh in the playoffs and the playoff atmosphere uh the, well i guess it's not really the atmosphere with the crowd as- atmosphere but the, just the feel of how the players are you know how the media hypes it up and it, there's a different feel to the playoff game there's no doubt about that, and you can feel it on the field. Just uh, it's something else. Like, of course, we only had maybe a couple hundred fans. I think Atlanta only let in uh, some family from both sides, Cincinnati and Atlanta. But uh, you know, I I haven't got to work a playoff game in front of fans. That probably elevated <laughs> even more. You know, I was very fortunate to to do uh, the playoff, let alone the plate my very first game, and and, and go on to the second round was something still blew me out of the water to do. Uh, divisional series as well. This year was an incredible um, year, and I'm not saying I didn't see it coming. It's just like it's one of those years that if you work hard enough, you can get anything, man. And uh, yeah, I had a great year, and uh, I got uh, I, I got some playoff time. So the deal, even through all the ups and downs of COVID, there's been lots of positives, and you got one of those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this year crews were a little bit mixed up guys were I think we're moving all around and lots of movement but I had a call-in question from a guy named Ron Suchuk he wants to know what brand of razor that Vic Carapaza uses <laughs> you know yeah I tell you yeah, that's, yeah, that's I'm good. going there yeah. soon so I, I, I I'd like to know because I appreciate that head of hair yeah no I think I I I don't know if it's if it's right but the Mach 5 I think <laughs> if that is there one of the animals Gillette, out there I Gillette, think it is uh, but yeah if I want to, if I want a Vic Carapaza haircut, I got to go Mach Five. Is that what you're telling me? That's what it is. I could, uh, you know, we could, we could do a call our friend. I could maybe get Vic on the call, but no, he's in Florida. He's been in his bed time already, man. So, uh, no, he's over <laughs> on field three. Five, is he? man. Uh, but yeah, the guy keeps a, he keeps a good shiny dome, man. I'll give him that. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And for a guy like Ron, you know, like, yeah, pick up the Mach Five, man. Do it. Do it. Get it done. Without bias to any type of team, but what is your favorite park to work in? Like, what what park is there a park that you kind of like? I just love it here. I see the ball well. Or we touched on already, but Dodgers Stadium always has a little piece of my heart, okay. um, being one of my favorite ballparks. So that you know the history of it. My very first game. It's got a cool feel to it. Um, you know, there's always fifty thousand fans in the stands when we could have fans, um, and hopefully sooner than later. Fingers crossed. 
that that one always sits in the sits there. But uh, uh, San Diego's right up oh, there. Uh, got one of the most beautiful cities. Uh, they got a beautiful park. One of the best surfaces there is. It just it's, it's something like you're running on astroturf, but it's not. It's way softer. It's awesome. It's but it's real grass. But uh, my probably my one of my favorite places to work it'd be Boston. Um, oh, beautiful. I love this city. I, I love the the ballpark. It's just it's so different and the history behind it. And they it, you talk about seeing the ball well. And if you have a if they have, if they have a they always have packed house, but sometimes they put like center field they'll put like some black tarping over the center yep. field fans or not over the fans but over the seats so we can sit there it's one of the best um you know to watch other than oakland to tell the truth oakland has the best backstop it's like this thing is well it's such a humongous stadium right it's just they have the best backstop to see the ball but um but then you get a day game and let's say they're playing like the yankees and of course they're not gonna not sell those seats so it, it sometimes it's not the best right <laughs> for that reason oh, interesting. You know, it's uh it's a, it's just a really cool field, and um, you just the the dugouts are a million miles away. Somebody's yelling at you, and you're like, "What? I can't, I can't hear you!" And they just kind of give up yelling because they can't hear you. Um, but no, it's 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 a cool the history the 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 ball man. Um, he's not a ball boy. He's he's a man. He's <laughs> he's in his forties or fifties. Uh, yeah, but he carried. I actually just retired a couple of years ago. But they, the the actual ball bag that they had out there was like like one of the originals. It's like yeah like a hundred years old. This thing was like, it was the most incredible thing. It'd be sitting in our locker room. I didn't want to get near it because I didn't want to like break it. Um, you know, so like, uh, like so there's just a lot of history to it and walking through uh, the concourse is just cool. And I, them singing, it's just a lot to it, but it's probably one of my favorite places. Yeah. I've been to that ballpark. It's hard not to love it. Even if you don't like the Red Sox, well, I don't, I'm not going to put you on that spot. Um, but it's, you you say that you can't hear anybody from the dugouts at the plate, which is nice, but how do you hear coaches from first base? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but now they got these international signs, like the, the, the replay telling you, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. It's like, what, what's going on here? Uh, Actually, one of my objections was, I think a pitching coach was at first base and he was in the third base dugout and he didn't have to say anything because I could see what he was doing, you know, so he was pretty much sign language. I was like, I, I, and I had all right to get rid of him because of it. So even at the major league level. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, they say there's magic words. Or sometimes there's magic uh, uh, actions as well. Post-show edit alert. How could we talk about an ejection in Major League Baseball and not reference the clip? Check out the show description. You're going to find a clip from April 14th, 2019 between the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox where Stu ejects Doug Brokell of the Baltimore Orioles. You can enjoy that later. But let's get back to the show. Now, how do you get into a ballpark? Do you show up at the door and go, here's my card, I'm Stu? Like, what's up, man? Like, <laughs> a lot of times I'm a, there pun- is I'm a young there. punk or what? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, there's there, We have like, um, you know, this was actually Boston. They're waiting for us. We get dropped off okay. um, right where um, the player's parking lot is. And it's really not a parking lot. It's actually just a side street where yep. they have valet that park these cars. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're waiting for us and they walk us through. And that place we actually have to do walk through the concourse. Um, there's nowhere just to go like just to a locker room uh, like door that's on the outside. But uh, a lot of stadiums, there's like a, a media place or a media okay. door or something. We have a, a side door where we go in, but yeah, not all of them. Some of them we actually have to go um, through fans like angel stadium right in front. We walk right through the front doors pretty much. And um, you know, across the concourse down to an elevator, but like the yeah, others um, all sorts of ones we actually, but Honestly, we don't stick out. I don't look like Mike Trout or some yeah. of these guys. They don't recognize, uh, you know, there is some very recognizable umpires. 
Um, but <laughs> I ain't one of them. Somebody's passing me. They just think this, this <laughs> Beverage Drury's young punk is just coming to watch a baseball game. Yeah. Best town to grab a something to eat. Where's your favorite place to grab a taco or a slice of pizza? Gosh, you know what? Uh, every place, there's so many places that are so different. That's the thing about one of the best perks of our job is, uh, you know, of course we get to go umpire baseball games and travel, and but they they send us to every major city in the United States of America. You know, you work baseball games, but there's also off days built in, and so you you get the opportunity to places that go for dinner in you know the San Francisco's, the New Yorks, the Chicago's, um, you know, just some of these places that uh, that I'm very fortunate to to go travel to, um, and but now I, I do it with work, but. So they're paying us to, to, to work in these cities, and we're, I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to go get myself, uh, go to Little Italy in San Francisco, and, and go find myself a nice meal down there, you know, some Italian food. Or New York's got some great pies, and, uh, you know, Boston's got this, you know, I'm more of a breakfast kind of lunch guy. I, you know, a lot of times we are right. working the night game, so I find, like, the Pasadena's got this little place called Russell's. It's, like, not, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. It, it, you know, it's one of the best, I make sure I go to it every single day when I'm there. Like, it's just, like, so I find like breakfast and lunch spots, you know, Boston's got this great little pastrami sandwich place. That's just incredible. Uh, you know, like, and that's so every city has their own little, little, I guess, gems, um, you know, and then, but there's always more out there and you just gotta, I, I try to do my homework. I actually bounce it off a lot of other guys. There's a lot of foodies on our, on our 76 guys. Uh, so if I could text one of them and say, Hey, I'm in, uh, I'm in Chicago. What do you say for what's a good sandwich spot? And, you know, yeah. And there's some guys that could rack off like six or seven places. I'm not there yet. I've only been, you know, to these cities for, you know, five, six years. So I haven't tried all these places yet, but, okay. um, but some of these guys are there, you know, I'll go to like, he's speak of Phil Cuzzy. If you want a good Italian spot, you talk to Phil Cuzzy, he will get, and he'll probably call the guy. So here's a true story. <laughs> so actually me and my wife went to San Francisco, um, and he, so I called Phil and I said, Hey Phil, I'm looking for a good Italian spot. What was that spot you took me? And so he racks it off and he tells me, and he's like, Hey, but I know the guy, let me give him a call. That's my best Phil Cuzzy accent. <laughs> um, so he gives the guy a call. And so he's like, Hey, you're all set up at seven o'clock on Saturday. I said, like, Oh, I, I appreciate it. I'm incredible. I get there. The they are, Mr. Surewater, come on in here. I got a seat for you. Window seat by the fireplace. And, you know, like this. So it was incredible. I was like, oh, this is the, man, it was an incredible dinner. And the guy's like, do you guys like wine? He's like, yeah, we like wine. He's like, he's like, so, of course, we're drinking wine throughout the night. And we're about to leave. And uh, in this one of the places you can buy wine. He's like, here, you know, how big is your purse? He looks at my wife's purse. Eh, you fit a bottle of wine there? Yeah. There's a bottle of wine there. Like, you know, and sees us out the door. Like, it was just like incredible, like. Phil Cousins got the best Italian hookups, uh, you know, he just, and he's, he's one of the good, best foodie guys. Uh, and he'll know where to go if you, if you need a place to go. You always got to have a good foodie guy on staff. They keep you on the straight and narrow. Absolutely. Now you're a type of guy that likes to walk around. We've met on a lot of occasions and every time I see you, you're always kind of panhandling a Starbucks. How many Starbucks reward stars do you have? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a great, yeah. uh, too many. Um, but I'm one of those guys, like I never use them. I just like, I don't like, I just like I do, but like, uh, I'll get like maybe a breakfast sandwich later or something if I'm in a rush, but like I have a million points, but then I come home for the off season and then like my account is set up in American. Okay. So I have a few months off. So now I'll get an email saying your, 
400 stars are going to expire. I'm like, son of a gun. Like, what's going on here? Um, but no, it's, yeah, I do like Starbucks, but I, I do. I'm a, I'm a Starbucks uh, drinker. Um, I love it. Um, you know, me and my wife actually have this kind of a cool thing going on where every city we've ever been to, Starbucks uh, has these, like, mugs that are, like, painted, um, like, to the city or, like, you know, it's some sort of artwork on the mug of the, of the city. Um, so we have the collection of every city we've ever been to together. We have them. So we have over, like, I think it's like 35 mugs in our coffee and we rotate them. So we don't just use the same one. So like we actually have like, it's a train. So like you had to move them. Okay. You pick two up for the morning and then we move these ones to the next ones and we kind of shuffle them all in. But uh, yeah, so we have like, like 30 or 35 different cities that we've been together, but we can't, you never buy the mug if you've just been there by yourself. So only we've gone to get gone there together. So if she comes out to visit me on a trip or, you know, like a working series or we go on a trip and, uh, you know, like Hawaii, I got, we got a Hawaii bug, so we went to Hawaii together, but yeah, um, it's just, that's our kind of thing. So, and we are Starbucks grinders every morning, grinding beans. Um, that's in our coffee pot. I already got it ready for tomorrow, by the way. Nice winter. Delicious. That is so cute. It sounds like you and your wife still love each other. Not too many people can say that even through this COVID-19. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We, we love each other. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, that that would yeah. I'm I'm glad we do because that would not be a good thing to come home at, in the off season. But I, no, I don't think that'd be good at all. So no, we uh, we have a great relationship, and uh, now I love her to death. Yeah, at work today, somebody asked. She goes, I think I wonder what divorce rates must be up through COVID nineteen. I said, nope, impossible. All the family courts are closed. <laughs> They're <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. yeah just jeez. Yeah, Since we're talking yeah, coffee, I have to admit, I. Don't tell her yet, but I did buy my wife a Super Espresso coffee machine, fully automatic for Christmas. So I hear where you're coming from with a good cup of coffee. You mean she's not going to listen to this or what? Not a chance. She listens to me rant all the time at home. So I don't make her listen to the show, but I do appreciate the support she gives me to let me do it. Well, yeah, we'll make sure they don't have the egg with a Super Espresso then. And I think at this time, it's really important that we put it out there that we're both part of the same club. No, we're not both umpires. We both married up. And we both married doctors. So, yeah, we're part of the well-kept men club, in my opinion. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Hey, that might be tough. You know, I had to make a, you know, but she, she was in the school the whole time I was in the minor league. So, uh, you know, I wasn't like I, I got myself a sugar mama. No, I, uh, that's that's for sure. I'm not scared to admit it. I won't put you on the spot. You can, you can be good, but I'm a well-kept man. I have no problem admitting that. I am a trophy <laughs> husband. I'm pretty sure my wife uses me for my body. <laughs> yeah, there you go, that boy. When you came up on that first game, you had a creased hat. Why don't you crease your hat anymore? I like the look of the uh, the oh, rounded yeah, yeah. hat, man. Now I don't know. I just, I just, I'm just the rounded hat kind of guy now. I don't do the crease. Uh, Got that I, contract. You just kind of let the waistline really go. Distinguish my my chin. It was good. It was. It made me look good. Yeah. There was no doubt about it. That's really, I, I make a lot of hats look good though, but, um, but no, it's just, I'm just, I changed probably a couple, two, three years ago. I just, I just really like the, the non-creased hat now. Just maybe I'll go back, you know, yeah, a lot of work now. You got a full-time job. You really don't have to worry about the pressing the suits or anything like that as much anymore. Eh? No, no, the, the suits don't come out. Uh, uh, just, just in postseason time, the suits come out for us. We all know Ted Barrett likes his big suits come postseason time. Yeah, he's got big suits and he's got some big hats to go big with hat, those suits. Yeah, yeah he was some big feathers that go in these hats, I think. It's, yeah. yeah, he's a. Because he's what, 6'5 or 6'6? Yeah, say? he's a big boy. Yeah, yeah no. Those are some big uh, 
Okay, Stu, we're going to move on to a section of the show we like to call 10 questions, okay? I'm going to ask you these 10 fun questions. They may or may not be umpiring related, if I agree with you. And if I think that you're just out in left field. This is about having some fun, okay? All right. We're at the time of the year, coming on mid-Christmas time. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, The Holiday, man. Really? The Holiday? What is this oh, all about? Come on, they swap house. They both gone through some traumatic, like, uh, uh, traumatic breakups. They swap house. One goes to, like, over to, like, I think it was, like, Ireland or something. And the other one goes to L.A. And they both meet the man of their dreams. Oh, it was, oh, it's incredible. Man, it's a little tearjerker. But you know what? Hey, that's all right. No, I, whatever, whatever you're into. Well, if you're into the tearjerkers, as an early Christmas present, I always put on the Women's Network. I'm okay to pay the $3.99 for my wife for December, but then I take it off come January. A little too expensive <laughs> for my taste. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say something like Die Hard, Home Alone, you know, the traditional Christmas movies. No, the holidays, don't worry. It's a tradition around here, kid. Oh, fair enough. I get, oh, I forgot. You're still in love with your wife. <laughs> Let's go back because you're 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 kind of the you're you're a millennial, but you're not. Columbia House. How many times did you uh, send in a, a request for eight CDs for a penny? <laughs> no, dude, that, that was not me, man. Maybe I'm not, I'm not in that category. Uh, <laughs> that was Napster before its time. Like that was the way to I, get free music. I was too busy stealing mo music on like LimeWire or something, oh, yeah. or whatever those crooked sites were. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't pay a penny. Why would you pay a penny when you could get them for free? Like, uh, come on. <laughs> even even a penny was too much. Just a little Columbia House tidbit information. Did you know that Hootie and the Blowfish album, one of their top albums, actually had 15 million albums go out through Columbia House? Jeez. Yeah. No wonder Hootie's uh, fishing with the dolphins these days. Yeah, right. We like, to talk, we like to talk music sometimes, food, we've done it. What's the first concert you ever went to, or maybe one of your favorite concerts? First concert I ever went to. God, that's a good one. Um, well, I was a, a Craven Jamboree uh, kind of guy back in the day, so we did it. <laughs> Man, I've got over three with you right now. <laughs> well, I mean, outside of these big music festivals, where did you really go for the music, or <laughs> what's yeah, what? Yeah, dude, I, there's nothing wrong with getting your boots dirty, and doing some dancing out in a big field with a bunch of, you know, like come on, yeah, that's what it's worth. Cool. Back before Alan jo Jackson had a mustache, eh? <laughs> but your favorite concert of all time, what would you say? Um, you know what? Um, I saw Tom Petty at the casino. It was incredible, man. We were right in the front row. I actually caught his, he jammed on his guitar. I caught one of his picks. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I don't really idolize or fawn over too many celebrities, I won't tell you, but in my life, I'll confess, I have cried twice for two celebrity deaths. Tom Petty and Robin Williams. Yeah, two, yeah. two beauties, that's yeah, for sure. You know what? I, I just I, I owe so much of my childhood to those people. I don't know how I owe Tom Petty so much, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't back down, I'll just tell you that much. No. <laughs> okay, you mentioned the Regina Thunder. Who has the biggest winning record between the Thunder and the Saskatoon Hilltops? What was it like playing them back then? We 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 always 
our rivalry was it was the Hilltops. They always beat us up. Um, they were they were that was when they won like everything. Yeah, who cares about Saskatoon? Yeah, hey, that's where I was born, dog. Yeah, that's where. I... Randy Bachman, <laughs> maybe they're running back to Saskatoon or something. They you could always figure that another day. <laughs> I guess you come on the show, you're kind of a celebrity in the biz, but who's the biggest celebrity that you think you met through all this? Biggest celebrity I've met, uh, Evander Holyfield. That before he lost his ear or after? Uh, that was after. And actually, so we were in Atlanta. Um, they were closing down the old stadium and they were every game they would rip something off. They were like, you know, like count down like three games left. So they'd rip it, you know, the number four off or something. Um, and so he was doing that that day. So he came in, um, pregame and uh, this was actually, uh, I was with, uh, Tom Halling was a chief, uh, Phil Cuzzy and Mark Ripperger, um, was my crew. I, I, Mark just got hired. I was a fill in. Um, and so whatever he came in here and he's, of course, we're signing baseball or he got him to sign baseballs for us. And at first he was just kind of like, you know, Phil was, uh, Phil's a talker. So he was trying to get him going. He's asking every question in the book and, he was kind of short answers. He was giving us the time of day. He, you know, he was doing good. Um, and then Phil's like, he's like, hey, what do you, what do you think about Mike Tyson? And <laughs> I, we couldn't stop him from talking. And you know what? They're, they're, they're good buddies, man. Oh, they were, of course. Uh, we, but we talked about, you know, he talked about it and then, you know, he, of course people think that they hate each other and stuff. And, uh, you know, he had nothing but good things to say at the time. And, uh, no, it was, uh, that's what really sparked. And we couldn't, we couldn't stop him. From talking. We're like, we got to get dressed, man. Like we got to get going. But he was kept on talking about it. So that was the conversation starter. Um, was, uh, yeah. I, I think even though those guys want to literally kill each other every time they get in the ring, it's a business just like it is baseball. It's, it's a small circuit. There's not too many guys that can say they fought for the world heavyweight champion. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Tom Hallian, one of the greatest strike three punch outs in the game, and this was going to be saved for later, so I'll ask it now. Where the heck did you develop your strike three punch out? Where did that come from? It's got to <laughs> be, be different. Everybody does the same thing. Everybody just pulls back the bow and arrow, man. Got to do something different. Like, punch the guy a little bit. So, you know, be different. Like, why why be the same? That was kind of my thing is that, yeah, you know, you gotta do something different, and I, damn, I think I like I make it look smooth, man. Yeah, I you do. I try it in the mirror. I just can't. I it hurts my back more than Phil um, than Tommy's. Yeah, but see, uh, the kicker is if you could do it the left hand too, would make it look good. You know, if, if you're a right hand, you can make everything good look with the right, right hand. But you gotta make the left hand and look good too. And yeah, no, I think I nailed it. No big deal. You swing at both sides, don't you? Yeah, I go away from the batter. So open side. Uh, it looks good. I just like to give you a little grief because it is different. It, it it is different. Yeah, you get a little bit of a little knee kind of rise in it. A little kind of little leg kick at the end there. A little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Gotta be different. Pick a Spice Girl. Which one were you? Oh man, uh, Baby Spice was that Emma? Yeah, 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 yeah. She was. That was mine. Yeah, for I, sure. I was more sporty Spice. I wore track pants right until like. My third year of marriage, so <laughs> she found <laughs> a winner kept... with all the social media stuff today. Pinterest or TikTok? Yeah, you know what? Neither, man. Nothing. I figure a guy like you have all these winners off. You know, could make some nice food. Have look after your wife while she's out working hard. I make some food. Come on, now. I do that, uh, but I, I I don't do the the Pinterest or the I 
I'll, I'll definitely do my homework. I'll YouTube some stuff, but uh, I'm actually going to attempt my first brisket here one of these days. I got a brisket sitting there. Oh yeah, you keep- but hey, but I'm not cheating. All these guys here. Here's my deal. And speaking of this, all these guys that are owning these Traegers or Green Mountain pellet filled, it's just plug and play. These guys just yeah. push a button, they hit 225, they walk away for 14 hours. And what's the what's the grilling in this? That, that, to me, don't be me wrong. It, it tastes wonderful. It's 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 if you if you have a good meat probe and you could your your power doesn't go out, you're gonna nail this brisket. And if you don't, yeah. And you have a cell I don't phone. Name on the butcher then, because it's hard not to screw that one up. Uh, but see, I, I got I, I'm the, I'm like the egg style kind of, so I like the charcoal. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to you got to a. It's hard to you. You don't have dials. You have like, two little things like vents. You got to open to try to get to the temperature. And of course, when you start running out of charcoal, and now you got to reload and get it back up to the same temperature. There's a lot more, uh, uh, a lot more, I guess finely tuned uh, grilling expertise and and charcoal than is plug and play with these um, pellet feeders. Oh, no question. And I think that when the day, when you're done it, there's just so much more reward and the food tastes that much better. Oh, my wife hates me. Cause like when I'm like, when I first fire this thing up and like, I'm out there, like I'll come in, I'll walk in the door and I bet you I got my shoes off and I'll just turn around again, put my shoes back on and I go check the temperature again. Like I, I, I she's like, really? Like you were just outside. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I just, <laughs> I, I might drop. I just don't know if it's going to drop. Like I might open the vent up like a, like a quarter inch or something, not even like an eighth of an inch. Uh, yeah. So no, it's, I'm bad for it. Um, but no, I really do enjoy it. And, um, you know, especially in the summers when I'm in good Saskatchewan weather, when we do have one, I'm on vacation, uh, I'll sit outside and grill. And, uh, I love just sitting out there with a couple cocktails, uh, and, and grilling foods is that, that's, that's, that's fun to me, man. So it is. Uh, I do enjoy that. Yeah, my wife had to fill me in a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to use the stove, and she goes, and I'm like, why won't the stove get hotter? She goes, if you shut the door, it'll get warm. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's the kicker with Thanks, these charcoals, too. You start opening these charcoal things. You lose it. Uh, that, well, you don't lose it. They actually, it, it'll actually fill, uh, flame it up. The charcoals get hotter because more oxygen. So you, so that's the kicker. You don't want to open them up. You're going to lose initial temperature, but if you leave it open for too long, all your charcoal is going to fire up. Didn't realize they taught chemistry down there at Pro School. Yeah, well, hey, that's YouTube. No TikTok and or uh, Pinterest. How many of us millennials have figured out the world through YouTube? Okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> on field, are you a gum or a seeds kind of guy? Candy? Is there anything to keep you by? Uh, before COVID days, uh, I was at both. COVID days, uh, that was uh, one of our protocols of no gum. And you had a mask on, so it wasn't really easy. I'm a... Uh, yeah, but I was a I was a seeds guy for like a, like a bag full of seeds. My whole back pocket be full. Usually last me like three or four innings, and then I'd go to gum uh, for the rest of the game. Get rid of the seeds once you had no taste buds left. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. But see, I did the kettle roasted ones. They make the ones called giant kettle roast, okay. where they're not as salty, so you don't have like yeah, you don't feel like you just cut your mouth with razor blades the next day. Um, so no, it's nice. If you're going 130 nights a a year, you can't afford that every night. No, no, that little salt intake. Uh, yeah, we get enough in our when you eat on the road. You don't right. need that much more when you're on the ball field. <laughs> Fair enough. Now you spend a lot of your time in the states, like we've talked about. Twenty nine teams down there, one team up here. What is the first thing that you just need to do when you get back on Canadian soil? Um, well, hell, come home and hug my family. Uh, uh, that's about that, it. That's a given. Uh, but let's say you're in Toronto and you're not getting the opportunity to come to the beautiful city. Not right. 
that Ryan Actually, well, I, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because we're talking about favorite stadiums. Toronto's up there too, man. Uh, that that city's incredible. Um, there, there's no doubt about it. But Toronto, that, that's my home away from home. Um, right. Even though it's not, you know, of course, other side of the country, but um, being the only Canadian umpire, the only Canadian team, um, we kind of have that same in common. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I really enjoy coming home and, um, you know, to Canada uh, and, and, and working in Toronto. It's been uh, something that I've really enjoyed. And I think the ballpark's great. Um, rumors has it. I've been reading that they're going to maybe dump that place, but hey, who knows about that? Um, yeah, I think but, those are rumors. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. If anybody's been down, down Toronto, like, where are they going to play? Like, uh, it seems kind of sketchy. It's a big rumor. Yeah, no, exactly. But no, it's a, it's a, it's a great downtown. And I'm talking about foodie again. They got some great restaurants, um, not too far from the ballpark that they got, um, that, that I love going to. And it's one of my favorite places to go. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Fair. I once lived in Europe for four months and then came home. And the first thing I needed to do was slam 40 honey dip Timbits. So that, that was my guilt trip. Yeah. I'm not a donut guy. Now, usually at this part, we like to do what we call a little segment called local legends and people that give back. But you're a little bit different because I'm going to say that you're the person giving back in one of the charity work that you do. I'll give you a little moment to kind of plug your charity and those stuff, some of the stuff you do. Uh, no, I appreciate that. No, it's uh, um, the Major League Baseball umpires have a, you know, our charitable organization is called Ums Care. Um, you know, we do a lot of great things. Um, they from you know one of our biggest things is uh we do hospital visits and like build a bears for for sick kids um that you know uh, are in there for all sorts of treatment or you know like you know uh, you know hopefully getting out uh sooner than later yeah kids are um, in the hospital because they want to be that's for sure yeah absolutely so you know to go in there and do hospital visits and give them a build a bear and um you know and to sit down and have a conversation with them and talk to them and talk to their parents um, you know, put a smile on their face uh, is is very rewarding. Um, I've done a couple of hospital visits, probably one of the hardest things, um, but one of the most rewarding things at the same time. When uh, you walk out of there, your your guts wrenched um, from seeing these these kids and what they're going through and how tough they are. But um, you know, to to put a smile on their face is uh, is very rewarding. And I'm glad uh, you know we have an organization, uh, charitable organization that helps us do this and uh, pushes punches us through this to to help these kids out and, and their families. But, uh, you know, we also, um, do, uh, scholarships. We have uh, a scholarship, uh, you know, um, somebody applies to get a scholarship. We will put them through school. A lot of times they're underprivileged or, you know, just maybe they can't afford it. So uh, there's applications in and our, uh, our group will, um, you know, like any other scholarship, they'll, you know, they'll write in and, uh, our group, uh, you know, not the, the 76 umpires, we have an organization or committee that, that picks these guys and are they are females and, um, to, to get a scholarship. So, no, there's a lot of good things that um, these guys do. There's also, we also bring, you know, underprivileged kids or, uh, you know, a lot of times foster kids or, you know, like, um, you know, inner city kids that just would never be able to get to a ball game. We'll bring them to a ball game. We'll put them up in the seats, um, give them some, you know, some swag, some, some candy, some seeds. They can watch a baseball game for a lot of times for the first time. Um, so we'll take them out in the field, put them in the dugouts, let them see, um, what the, you know, what, what it's like from the, from this view and, uh, they, you know, they'll rap with us, they'll give some questions and, uh, it's, it's pretty fun too. some of these kids, uh, to, to see a big league feel from that close. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, thank you for doing that. Cause I think that we can all agree that children, you know, when they're in that stage, they're sick, they're vulnerable. They just need that opportunity to come out and 
enjoy the world and get some chances that they might not have had. And thanks for breaking no, up I, their day. I appreciate it. Is there any way that our listeners can help contribute to that cause? Yeah. They, uh, just, uh, if you go to just Google Ums care. Um, yeah. I'll and, put that uh, in the show description then just Ums care and find, go yeah. from there. Umpcares.com um, is, is, um, is the website and you can go in there and it kind of gives us our story, what we do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a donation um, button there and just kind of gives us, uh, you know, more or less a, a good background of what we're doing and, uh, you know, the day in, day out of Ums Care and um, for, the, for the community. And can we say that this donation brought to you by Stu Shearwater? Is there an opportunity to say that in the comments at all? But you know, you comments and um absolutely there is and you know what but uh, don't say it because me say it because of you um no. for, the, for the donor and uh, put it for you know what um from the people that are donating don't don't put my name on it put uh, your guys name on it because uh we appreciate you guys doing it so we appreciate that too well essentially that wraps up this episode of the leading edge i really want to thank you for coming on Stu, and sharing with us all these stories i know that you do this all year long and nobody really wants to spend their day off talking about their job, but I do appreciate this, especially this close to the Christmas season. So I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Now, traditionally, we like to end off on a note where we like to give the guests the opportunity to leave us some wise words of wisdom. So Stu, what would you say is your wise words of wisdom for any umpire looking to get to the next level? First of all, yeah, I think we kind of touched on before, but man, if you had a dream, follow it. There's no doubt about it. Now, you didn't think, uh, you know, guy from Saskatchewan is going to make it to the Major League Baseball as an umpire. Um, you know what, there's a lot of doubt that, you know, from a, not even from myself, that like, uh, how am I going to get there? You know, like, uh, you know, when you've seen, there wasn't a Canadian umpire at the time when I was going. Um, so um, there was some guys in the minor leagues, but never, you know, really, there was only, I think I'm the second or third, uh, you know, uh, that's it, uh, Canadian ever. So, uh, you know, but I had a dream. I followed it. I ran with it. I, you know, I dedicated myself, my, and, you know, had my family back in me and that was, uh, you know, even more of the battle. But uh, if you got a dream, just, you know, go for it and um you know and uh, this is actually an old line from harry wendelstead um and he's like not everybody can be a major league umpire but you could be a major league person so um it's kind of something that i've always lived by too um i'm fortunate enough to be a major league umpire um you know but i'm also want to be a major league person too so if you can't even be that major league umpire or you know but you can be a major league person uh so being a good person is, is something uh, as well that you can do um uh, and like you said this is this is the time that everybody needs that right now we're all going through this uh, very uncharted territory of uh, this COVID. And, uh, you know, sometimes people just need a little pick me up. Um, so um, we're, we're not, nobody's enjoying this time at all. So if you can be a good person and help somebody out or, uh, you know, do your part and um, do what we got to do to get through this, it, it's going to go a long way. So, no, that's, uh, that's my, uh, that's my tidbit. Well, that concludes this episode and season one of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. 2020 has been a difficult year for many. We've gone through some ups and downs and everything in between. The new year is always a time for reflection and preparation for the days ahead. At this time, I would like to thank all the guests who have given their time to come on the show and share their stories. My wonderful family for allowing me the time to spend alone in the office editing and spending time with some of my guests. And most importantly, you, the listener, who have come back week after week to listen to some of the fine stories of amateur and now professional umpires from here in Canada. I truly appreciate all the love, support, and feedback 
that you've provided along the way. Now, I know you might be sitting there thinking, oh no, is this the end? Don't worry, it's not. We already have intentions of coming back for season two in 2021. I'm just gonna take the next couple weeks to spend it with my family over the holiday season. So from our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. Like always, everyone, take care and stay safe.